Hello. I was wondering if I might trouble you for a cup of strong black coffee and in the process engage you with an anecdote of no small amusement. and beautiful people i am your nerd leader uh john wayne i don't know (laughs) and i'm the didact Uh, yeah we're uh five episodes in and still don't have a legitimate introduction so we're gonna keep trying hoorah um yeah uh, excited for part two of discussing halo lore or halo as i stupidly decided to call this series um nobody like i said um rioted in the streets because of last week so hopefully that it you know no news is good news so um i know that it was very narrative driven very tech sci-fi heavy and everything and mm-hmm. this episode's not too dissimilar so um you know hopefully you're you're liking that um overall the listens were uh flattering in terms of that you know it's such a different thing and it's not star wars and we're so known for that that i I'm surprised anytime uh, people decide that that's worth listening to as well. Before we get into the episode, uh, you might have, your ears might have noticed and been tickled by a slightly new way of formatting the episodes. Um, essentially, you know, we've heard from some and, and we understand that, you know, while we are sitting listeners um, when it comes to our podcast consumption, not everyone is, and, you know, and so for something as long as our episodes to be able to get it done in a small routine or in a drive to work or whatever, um, you know, I mean, unless your drive to work is an hour long, you know, it doesn't really fill that out. Yeah. So we've been kind of splitting purposefully um, instead of just doing ads uh, sort of midsection or just whenever we're purposely doing it about every 20 minutes uh, to the point that, you know, when you hear an ad, you know, okay, I'm in the first 20, you know, that's down. I can, I know where to go for uh, the next one when I come back. Yeah. Um, hopefully that works. We're trying. I mean, uh, we have tried and we have shortened our content. It used to be a lot longer and more ridiculous, uh, but it seems like an hour is a sweet spot for what we do. Um, and overall, it seems like that works for uh, everyone, but this is another way to make it more accessible to anyone else uh, that doesn't eat an entire dinner in one sitting, uh, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but, you know, feedback's always good um, if you're on the side that the 20 minutes is your way of listening and that mm-hmm. works. Let us know if it's horrible. Let us know. Like I said, we can't, you know, I, I don't know how we would. Um, I can't imagine us doing 20 minute episodes. Um, Honestly, no, we talk way too much. (laughs) Yeah. Which is part of the vibe of the episode. So it's, it's kind of hard to escape what is naturally our content. So, but we're always trying to make it better and more accessible for everyone. So we will always try to be as accommodating as we can while doing what we do basically. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Some of, Today's episode, if you know a little bit of Halo, is going to sound a little bit more familiar, maybe, and everything. So if uh, you didn't check out last week's, shame on you, uh, go do that. But essentially, rather than just talk about the games, which I feel is very known, 
I wanted to cover stories that were a little more unknown and go going chronologically in the story of Halo is the best way to do that because there's so much that happens historically. Mm -hmm. There's so much that happens in universe before you ever wake up in the cryo chamber as Master Chief for the first time. And, and so that's kind of what I wanted to highlight and talk about. And um, by the looks of it, next uh, week, we'll actually start talking about some of the game story and lore and everything, which is uh, exciting. Um, you know, I didn't expect it to take so long, <laughs> but obviously the style of the episode's different. And that all just came from research and writing and putting it together. And what plopped out was what I thought was the best method of delivering this episode and, yes. and everything uh it just meant that it moved maybe moved maybe a little slower everybody yeah. uh, you know you can say if you don't like it you, you know that's more than welcome uh nerdyverse is not just star wars mm -hmm. um so you know that's what's so nice when people listen to it but we recognize a lot of people just like star wars and like us for star wars and that's okay yeah. you know uh if halo's not your thing that's not your thing but you know the m my hope would always be and nerding out about this universe that I like, maybe even if you never play the games, you might have an appreciation for the story it's trying to tell. Yeah. Um, you know, least I can hope for. So I will try and stay as concise and on topic, and I will try to sound as enthused as possible. I am post head wound. Yeah, that, that happened today. You have um, sutures in your head. Uh, yeah. So, but <laughs> it makes it sound so horrible. Why are you, why are you recording right now? <laughs> it's not nearly that bad. I just have a, a, a I have a good headache. Um, you do. And so, uh, but I'm going to have an awesome scar and it's in the same place that Boba's uh, helmet is dented. So I feel pretty, pretty good about that. <laughs> and you didn't even have to shoot Cad Bane for it. So now we shift from the godlike creative precursors and technologically power-driven forerunners to a new species who will be a, the focus for the majority of history following the firing of the Halo Array. If you thought we would just sort of start with Adam and Eve, you were mistaken, as our story still takes place thousands of years prior to any of man's notable exploits. This is the story of Adam and Steve. <laughs> Uh, we begin primarily around 2,200 years before the events of the first Halo game. A species named the Sanshum had long been in civil war between two groups known as the Stoics and the Reformists. You could look up an image, but for the sake of your imagination, picture uh, E.T. with his neck extended and body closer to the size of a regular human being. And I'm sure whatever you're imagining is close enough. Gross. The Sanshum, uh, as a species, has grown to deify the Forerunners and their technology and relics that existed on their planet, specifically the Forerunner Dreadnought that was viewed as the center of the species' existence and ideology. It was the only proof that there was a species that had collected and placed them on this world, created them uh, in a way can be inferred. So th this was the equivalent to animals fighting over the Ark that saved them uh, from the flood. Uh, the Stoics believed that, you know, the forerunners, Noah, wouldn't want them messing with the boat and to just leave it and live happy lives. But the reformists believed that Noah would want them to use the Ark to find other Arks and other Noahs even. 
And this was a war that began between these two groups that lasted about 100 years before the reformists were finally able to flee the planet in a dreadnought, in the dreadnought. And at some point down the line, the ship became known as High Charity and was the mobile home base of the Sanshum. A visual aid. A visual aid for you. It's, Not for you, the listeners. Okay, but. so it's a man in a chair. He's uh, wearing a crown and, he, and a red dress. Yeah, we'll explain, a, I guess, him a little bit more uh, later, but that's essentially what they look like. But again... He looks just as gross as I would have imagined. Yeah, they're... They're, they're uh, not attractive. Yeah, I mean, very old school, alien-inspired for sure. The first species, the newly freed Sanshum would assimilate were the Huragok. Uh, this was a largely uneventful because you kind of just have to talk the Huragok into it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still significant as the Huragok were one of the oldest species and possibly the last remaining to have actual contact with living forerunners. Huh. Uh, think of for, uh, think of uh as biological floating snake squid monitors. Delightful. Love it. Uh, that was essentially their basic function, whereas you had monitors like the didact turned his human friend into, who were like just caretakers. They were AI uh, nannies for Forerunner stuff. Horogaks were essentially the same without all the personality and were biological. Aww. That's adorable. They took care of and repaired technology and were good boys with fun gas and floating related names like lighter than some drifts randomly requires adjustment and sometimes sinks tag yourself <laughs> i requires adjustment um i'm sometimes sinks the huragak were very useful to the sanshum in their pursuit of answers and understanding about the foreigners because they knew the technology huragaks were simple and loved technology and taking care of it. And so again, with the promise of, hey, we can give you more technology to take care of and, you know, teach us about, the Hercooks were innocent. They were like, sure, yeah, let's do that. They look like such good boys. They are. Don't shoot them in the games, please. Please don't. (laughs) You can do that. So Why would you do that? Uh, Well, you don't know. That's the horrors of it. Uh, They they don't explain that until uh, well into the, well... Technically, they're, they're always around, but they're predominantly featured in Halo 3 ODST. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually achievements. It's a uh, um, good achievement, bad achievement, very um, Undertale style of yeah. killed everybody, didn't kill any of them. Um, but yeah, it's like a centerpiece of the story is that you slowly discover these aren't like any other Covenant members. Although we're not calling it the Covenant yet, but essentially the Sand Shroom just picked these guys up off the side of the road because they were useful. They found them in the garden. They picked them up with a trowel and just sort of whoosh. Yep. So fast forward to 936 years before the Halo games. We're moving along. We're getting closer. Yeah, we are. The Sanshum meet the Sangili. The Sangili are probably the most well-known face of the Covenant and well-known enemy of the video games. Um, And to humans, they're called elites uh, and eventually the backbone of the Covenant army. But... How did they get there? Well, the Singili had their fair share of forerunner structures uh, and tech, but they long believed that their gods would want them to not mess with it. So, see, we're getting back into, do we mess with the gods? Do we not mess with the gods? Mm -hmm. The Singili were people of combat and honor, not too dissimilar to Mandalorians, if you want to have something to relate them to. 
But imagine seven-foot-tall, armor-clad dinosaur men with predator mandibles, and you have a Sankili warrior. Very cool. The Sanchum approached them to learn from and use their forerunner ruins. See, these are the Sanchum that escaped and are like, no, the gods would want us to use these things. Um, but it explained how the Covenant had the technology that they had when we meet them in the games, is they got it all from reverse engineering forerunner technology. The Sangili, though, resisted and thus began an 86-year war between the two, with a stalemate reached eventually, although the Sangili were forced to use Forerunner technology to even make it that long into the war, mm -hmm. thus kind of corrupting their morals a little bit. But nonetheless, That's the never happened in war. <laughs> right. Um, so the two were able to form a covenant of peace. And the Sanchum promised to discover the secret of the gods, and the Sankili promised to protect the Sanchum. They were the sword, uh, and the Sanchum were the head, essentially. And there you go. You have the covenant as it existed then, at least. There we go. Oh, I know what that is. Yes. Um, so from here, the covenant would begin to look more like what we would know in the video games because they basically went on a recruiting spree over the next few hundred years. Apparently. So, uh, 784 years um, before uh, the game's lore picks up, the Legolo are discovered. Uh, not Lego. Legolo. Dang it, I was about to make that joke. How dare you? <laughs> uh, they are a species of worm that eat anything. Uh, excuse me, sir. I believe that they are feline, actually. <laughs> no, and uh, despite what Newgrounds flash animations would have you think, uh, no, they are not a kitty cat. They do not dance, dance, dance. Cats. I'm a kitty cat. Um, yeah, so like Golo are worms who literally eat anything, including forerunner technology. Delicious. They're like goats, man. They just eat to take care of themselves. That they, All they have to do is eat, and so that's all they do. Well, when you're working with a dude named Skunjili, like, you gotta eat something. Name what? The, the same Keely. That's the only joke I wanted to make, but I didn't know if you'd ever heard of it. No. Have you never heard of scongili before? No. Okay, is, so is that a food? Scongili is an Italian food that is basically squid and onion. Oh, okay. It's delicious. Yeah, they aren't squids or onions. Scongili. <laughs> but I see what you're going for. So, uh, yeah, they found out that these creatures had eaten the technology that existed on this planet. And so the Covenant were basically just like, hey, well, now we got to kill them. <laughs> uh, you can almost uh, liken this to the uh, Christian Crusades of, you know, just sweeping and taking over and, um, you know, collecting treasures and subduing lands and people to your belief system and everything like that. Um, but the Covenant, which is just E.T. and Predator for now, attempted to eradicate them for their heresy, uh, realizing that they uh, had eaten Forerunner technology. But they soon realized that there were secrets to these worms. They were actually a hive mind and could join together for greater power. Uh, and when they were assimilated, they were like one giant warrior. Mm -hmm. uh, just multiply this by the thousands. And it's not as easy as just stomping around or, you know, just burning it down. Uh, if anything, they realized that, oh, they could be useful. Um, the humans uh, largely only encountered them when they were in their combined forms, uh, when they were clad in thick, unpenetrable armor and equipped with massive weapons, mm -hmm. and they came to be known as hunters to the humans. And doing a little dance. Um, I do have to admit, so the worms themselves are called Letgolo, um, the, when they're combined, they're 
Malik Kokolo. So it's they have an I like when they join for forces they have a identity a different identity. It's weird. Yeah. Hive minds in general are weird. Yeah. Fusion is just a tactic to make weak drums <laughs> Right, yeah. It's very much good Gogeta yeah. uh kind of um I was referring sense. to Steven Universe, but also yes. Oh sure, okay. Don't like, know that universe. Oh well it's same kind of thing. Uh, multiple gems of the same kind can band together mm-hmm. and fuse to create a larger, more powerful gem. Gotcha. Um, or a garnet. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so now, uh, moving on, the Yenime are discovered. Oh, I love Yenime. <laughs> uh, they're like five foot tall beetles, um, but still very dangerous and slightly helpful. Um, they also <laughs> like technology. Uh, they're not as good. You just described me. <laughs> uh, they're not as good as the Hergok at repairs, but they they try. Um, they do good enough, I guess. Uh, humans just call them drones, though. There's not much special to them or how they were assimilated. Essentially, much of this basically turns out. Hey, we're gonna kill them. Wait, they're useful. Let's convert them instead. Um, that's how most of all of this stuff goes. They got a dump truck, though. Look at that. <laughs> well, the the representation you're seeing is not accurate they're not that huge i don't um, know again they're I'm about just... five foot most oh, in halo five foot is very small because uh, sandili <laughs> are uh, about eight foot and spartans are about seven foot she's louise so yeah five foot is baby i would be crushed underfoot they, grunts are four and a half foot tall Dad, i hate to tell you come, but, dude like Standing Mac- Master Chief next to things gives you a bad expectation of, of height. Like uh, I said, I would be crushed underfoot almost immediately. <laughs> right. uh, so next converts um, to the Covenant Faith are the Kigyar, uh, which I have to say is personally my second favorite species. I don't really know why. They're just really cool. Just like me. Um, they are, uh, so the Kigyar and their subspecies, I should say, um, because that's important to me, not anybody else. Um, but just imagine bird, birds, buzzards, and velociraptors having babies together, and you have the pirate race of King Yar. Love it. Um, oh, those dudes. Yeah, they're yeah. referred to by humans as jackals. Jackal. It's a jackal. <laughs> like, uh, cool name. Yeah. Not accurate at all. Um, no- I... Nothing I know about the mythical jackal uh, is anything like that, but okay. I think it, need, it needs to be said how much I appreciate all of your visual aids. I have to keep you interested it's, somehow. <laughs> I am interested. I'm, I'm continuing to be interested. Um, this doesn't look like a jackal to me. <laughs> None of them do. Not at all, but um, the skirmisher subspecies in particular, which is the much more buzzard black looking one. Oh yeah, that looks like... Is my personal favorite. They look dragon. cool. They look very, very cool. Um, I, I think that's the only reason I really like them. The The... Sangili are definitely my my preferred, but that's also because they have the most world building. Um, if Kigyar had a little bit more world building, I'm sure they'd be, uh, well, they couldn't really go much higher on my list, but I'd love them all the same. They look like Skeksis. Uh, that's a very good one, but uh, Beefier, definitely much more physically intimidating, for they're, sure. They they're, are they're yeah. fast. They are, yeah, they're, they're tough boys. Um, they are interesting also in conjunction with the rest of the Covenant because they are the only ones that never really uh, took the faith. Um, they were largely subdued with the promise of money. Because of their weapons and spacefare, uh, the Covenant basically was like, hey, help us hunt down artifacts and we'll pay you. 
Yeah, they're um, basically just there for funsies. Right. So the they largely responded to the Sanshum Vice Minister of Tranquility. Uh, he was their boss, essentially. Okay. Uh, the second mo- most memorable game enemy is next recruited, and that is the Angoy, or the Grunt. I know what these guys are. Uh, they join the Covenant pretty willingly because they are stupid. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, these nipple-loving cannon fodder enemies are, uh, as I said, known as grunts, but uh, they are so freaking hilarious. You're going to have to explain that. Uh, well, um... They don't just have, like, proclivities. <laughs> no, they they uh, are immediately born and latched onto um, what we would call bottles. Like they're, like, they're not actual nipples, but, like, they revere the nipple and... Those who you are nipple mates with is significant. It's like, it's it's weird. It, it's this it's thing. Really weird. Well, um, Legolo even actually have pairs. They're like birds in that they they find a, a, a sibling almost. It's not romantic. It's like platonic, but mm-hmm. in the same way that birds, certain ones at least, are very monogamous. Hunters are the same way. Um, you know, they are mates. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's there is interesting lore built into all of these uh, all of these creatures for sure. Finally, um, the last wow that was very country. That Dang. was very country. Hi there. Uh, the last and most recent addition to the covenant is made the Jirahalani. Can you pronounce that one more time? Jirahalani. Jirahalani. Um, or you can just call them what the Jerry? humans call them brutes. Oh. Uh, the humans name for them is actually pretty accurate um they are the simplest and most primitive of the covenant ranks but arguably the most powerful and dangerous and actually sometimes the most zealous uh it goes to show that a lack of intelligence can go a long way with uh religiosity i mean you're not wrong Uh, there's a ghost song about that (laughs) so for these guys just imagine sasquatches essentially if you thought (laughs) uh sankili were tall at uh about eight foot uh these dudes are generally rocking about nine foot these guys are huge. Oh, they um, have two foot. This was good for the Sanshum uh, in that they were so simple and manipulatable um, because over time, the Sanshum and the Sangili still had a bit of tension because you have the Sangili who still retained a sense of honor um, and they only thought using the technology for the sake of the great journey, uh, which is the religion that the prophets, the, the Sanshum, um, you know, led. It, it was this idea of what what happened to our gods is they ascended. They went on the great journey and we're seeking to do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, they went to the Grey Havens. Right. Um, so, but the Sanshum are very self-serving in that, uh, whereas the Sankili are very much like, we only use the gods' technology so much as it takes to meet the gods like they justify it but they still hold a sense of honor to it and that just annoys the crap out of the sanshum because they're very much of no break it down learn from it turn it into a weapon turn it into something useful mm-hmm. um they're, or if you're a worm eat it yeah uh the sanshum are very exploitative so to have the brutes come in um late in the game who are just whatever the boss says we don't really understand this great journey we don't really understand these big church words but uh, yeah, I mean, if you take care of us, give us power, give us te- uh, weapons, we'll we'll do it. 
Ooh, that's relevant. Oh, well, a lot of it's a <laughs> interesting commentary overall in terms of uh, the spread of religion and whatnot. I mean, again, I likened it to the Crusades, but it's not too dissimilar. Uh, you get these very, I mean, literally, there's a rank of Sankili called the Zealots. Their whole thing is forerunner. Like, you don't mess with it. You like. So it's this idea of if you show up, you know, your troops show up, you find an artifact, you do not touch it. You call the Zealots. The Zealots are the ones who scour the technology. Um, they study this, believe it, bleed it. Uh, you know, that their names are evidence of it. They are Zealots. Um and so they're like the idea of this religion runs deep and the covenant is willing to go to great lengths um, for their religion. So, uh, but thus we have our covenant. Uh, the Sanshum prophets uh, were the head. The Sankili and Jurahalani are the right and left hand. The Kigyar and Ungoy are the feet and somewhere in the mix is the Letgolo and Yemi. And the Huraguk are like the reading glasses that are sometimes used, but generally not liked. They sit on top of your head and they just <laughs> sort of, you know, chill. Now we can talk about humans, uh, finally, uh... for just a little bit. Uh, so human history is largely unchanged, while in the far reaches of the galaxy, the covenant is being born. But at some point, things deviate as humans become spacefaring colonists. Uh, as with most sci-fi uh, history is the same to the point where instead of just going and visiting the moon every yeah. few years, we legitimately terraform and discover new worlds to inhabit um, due to lack of resources, due to overpopulation. You know, all, all of that pushes us out into space. Earth is still Earth, um, but we have extended. We've, we've grown beyond it. Yeah, honestly, I just, the people who get to leave Earth are the luckiest. Uh, just well, get to go hang out with Chris Haddonfield. I wouldn't say that. Um, Wait, no, Haddonfield. Sorry. Yeah, Haddonfield Earth, Earth fared the best in terms of humanity's uh, war with the Covenant, but we'll we'll get there. So, uh, humanity's establishing worlds and colonies throughout the galaxy. Uh, military might was comparable to starship troopers in terms of military technology and propaganda. Um, and by my part. I'm doing my part. Uh, only good bugs a dead bug. I mean, uh, there are a lot of um, back and forth inspirations uh, uh, between both. Um, like the uh, ODST are legit like Starship Troopers. Like personality, everything is built off of that. That's why in ODST, most of the time you're fighting drones. You're yeah. fighting bugs because that's the joke. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's not... A, direct ripoff it's very well done and i love me some odst boys uh but by the year 2449 we're well away from that thank goodness although 2020 is pretty bad in it's of itself i think it's better than what we're <laughs> about to see fictional humanity dealing with i don't know man it's only september <laughs> <laughs> right uh, a boiling point has been reached with civilians and separatists who demand change and independence from the United Earth Government and the United Nas Nations Space Command, which I'll just refer to as the UNSC from here on out, uh, just for the oh, sake of words. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, this is the usual futuristic sci-fi conflict where humanity, humanity grows beyond Earth, and yet Earth Government dictates everything outside of Earth. Um, it's the same thing of... You know, the guy in the city trying to dictate what the guy in the farm does. You, you don't really 
operate the same way. So I understand you setting some laws, but by and large, my life is very different from yours. So mm -hmm. I feel like I should have a little bit of independence, but that's unacceptable to the guy in the city because, well, he needs a job. You're his job. He gets paid very well for making laws and taking care of you, even though he doesn't understand you or empathize with you. Yeah. So why would he give you independence? He'd be out of the job. I think you just boiled down 1776 to its barest, <laughs> like degree. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's constantly a, a push for power in terms of, hey, we don't think we need you dictating us. We're all human. And to a point, again, we should have overarching law. But we're out here, you know, millions of miles away. Why should you decide what we should do? because of new laws on earth. Like it, it, it really doesn't make sense. Um, but it's the basis of many sci-fi stories, uh, war, many Gundam, uh, wars are started on this. It's this just idea yeah. space, space noids, space people, um, have, have their right to rights. Essentially. And as we all know, you should avoid the noid. <laughs> avoid the noid. Um, so this leads to the formation of the insurrectionists and uh, the largest conflict in human history at that point. Uh, this is all human-on-human -human war, but uh, what does get born out of this essentially is the response that comes in 2511. So again, some future. Mm -hmm. The UNSC has gotten tired of the drawn-out war and losses and seeks to, to make a swift end, which comes by the way of the Spartan II program. This is led by da uh, Dr. Catherine Halsey, and based upon previous super soldier study, the goal was one man war machines who could do what squads and battalions till now could not. They were faster, stronger, more strategically intelligent. Spartans were the saviors that the UNSC needed. Um, and so this is where we get Master Chief. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go more into it, but, you know, uh, like this is the reasoning. Why would we have super soldiers just sitting idly by? It's it's act we actually did not make them for the covenant. I mean, we just got lucky that we created them at all because if not for chief and other Spartans, the war would have looked very different. Not that the whole war hinged on them, but I mean, when you look at the tally sheet, they, they have some of the most significant wins. The reason the halos didn't fire again is because of master chief and Cortana. And Cortana. Um, Can't forget Cortana. Yeah. So, you know, you, you see a lot of that. Um, so a lot of that luck, in there in that um, we were just creating super soldiers for super soldiers sake. And then it turns out we needed them more than we thought we did. Yeah. It's like how, uh, Oh man, I had a really good reference point there for a minute, but the name just completely dropped out of my head. It's like how a dude was just like screwing around with mold in a Petri dish. And all of a sudden we got penicillin. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, human dabbling that turns out to be more beneficial than you think. Um, yeah. But as with most of humanity, the exploits are questionable. <laughs> um, this was not just train harder and get more high-tech suits kind of super soldiers. This is not G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, put on a suit and you're awesome. Um, these were universal soldier levels of unethical experimentation, which is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, if you don't know, and it's amazing, and you should I watch it. only made 20 minutes in the movie. <laughs> uh, you should definitely watch it. Um, but at least universal soldier films... They used dead soldiers. They resuscitated yeah. dead soldiers for this, which still unethical because you told these people's families they were dead. But um, Dr. Halsey opted rather to use 75 six-year-old children's 
who were genetically more likely to survive experimentation. This was purely based on studying, based on human medical record, like they, like they studied medical records to find the best candidates. So this isn't even like tryouts. This is, they're snooping, and then they find out who might survive the work of becoming a Spartan. That's a lot darker than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So um, now the children just weren't called in for an audition either. No, they um, were kidnapped, weren't they? They were stolen in the night and they were replaced by clones. Oh my gosh, Dr. Halsey. <laughs> um, you might think that that is uh, less harsh, um, but the clones uh, of this future are not perfect. We're not talking about Star Wars cloning. Uh, these clones at best, uh, made it a few years at worst, made it a few months. They were flash clones. They were not meant to live lives. Yeah. It was just enough for them to have a kid for a little bit. And then why are you telling me these things? Uh, because the crimes of the UNSC and ONI, uh, has to be, uh, office of Naval intelligence. Okay. I was about to say like, so, ONI and G, like what? I refer to uh, a lot of this through the UNSC because that is the overall government structure. Jeez but um, ONI is the real dirty devils. They're the ones that pushed for a lot of this. They knew more about this than the UNSC did. In the UNSC, they basically just knew these guys, man, they went through it and they survived. And now they're walking tanks. ONI literally knows they funded what they what Dr. Halsey was doing. Jeez. Um, Dr. Halsey is the extreme case of someone who believes in and loves science, loves patriotism, and uses the justification of the greater good for what she does. Um, it's now it, one of my favorite bits of, of storytelling throughout is we get to spend a lot of time in the books with Dr. Halsey, uh, her guilt, and also uh, the Spartans' guilt. As she should be. It doesn't leave this stone unturned. Trust me. Um, and, and that's the complexity that we don't get in that. You know, we can just look and idolize and deify Spartans and, and Chief and all of this because they look cool. They are cool. And it makes for good gameplay. But in the story, you start to realize these are actually legitimately tragic characters. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you all the ways that they're so tragic. <laughs> no. Um let me hydrate so my tears will not dehydrate. There you go. So the, the kids, this didn't take place on Earth, but rather an Earth-like planet called Reach. Uh, oh. And this is where the Spartan program took place. For the next eight years, the children were subjected to training equivalent to that of what we would think of like Navy SEALs and Marine Corps candidates. Um, I'm not going to put a number to it, but there is a high percentage of washout in those programs for career military individuals these are six-year-old children experiencing this by the way so, so it's, it it's tough it's kind of like um the witcher program the <laughs> program <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to sign up for the witcher program my name is Geralt or yes Rivia. um there's something significant well i mean in storytelling in general children um having their childhood taken away and replaced with maturity yeah. and purpose is a form of, I mean, it's a, it's an expression of what literally happens when, um, formative years are disrupted. Um, you know, there are very important things that need to happen in a child's life for them to have a healthy life. Yeah. Losing that 
I'm not saying anyone is ever uh, completely irredeemable. I mean, I think that that's a very complex conversation. Mm -hmm. But what does happen to you at a young age does kind of set your path. And that's what a lot of this is is kind of uh, narratively doing is it's it's showing the horrors of what can happen to youth that makes them who they are. And we can look at that and be like, oh, good for you. So proud of you. So glad to have you on the team. When in reality, what got them there is very muddy and very complex and very tragic. Yeah. Uh, you never know how people get to where they are. In these cases, again, one of the greatest video game characters of all time is actually very broken, tragic, and lacked an entire childhood. I agree. Geralt it's, is it's one of the tough. greatest. <laughs> Uh, I can't comment too much. I've only seen the show, but, uh, Henry Cavill, 10 points. Um, so this was brutal, borderline torturous training and meant to break and reshape the children into soldiers by the age of 14. And this was, uh, countered with like high level education. These meant the, they were meant to be able to strategically lay out battle plans, be able to on the dime, think of how they can counter, uh, an enemy. Um, they were problem solvers. They were not just physically strong. They don't get to show it off much, but these were very intelligent children by the time this program was done. So by the age of 14 and 25-25, when candidates had been through it all and reached optimal age for procedure, they were subjected to augmentation. I don't like the sound of that. Uh, imagine Project X levels of augmentation that meant these kids were physically stronger, more powerful uh, than normal humans. Um, Captain America levels of strength and durability and endurance. Uh, and But Captain America levels of uh, physical change as well. So these 14-year-olds came out, I mean, like huge, fully grown, toned, muscular adults. Um, it, it goes to show that Chief is actually younger than we might actually think he is. He's actually 12. <laughs> um the resulting youth were taller, more physically built uh, than most MMA fighters even, um, at least those that survived. 30 candidates died during the procedure alone. Another 12 were physically damaged beyond military use. And 33 survived until two met their clones after escaping and committed suicide at the full realization of what had happened to them. So we are left with 31 candidates, 31 strong candidates, left in the Spartan program, and it's kind of really only beginning. But throughout all of this, one candidate always stood out and even caught the attention and eye of Dr. Halsey as one with the most luck. This was candidate number 117, John. Yeah. Yeah. And so there you go. That's the story. That's where uh, Master Chief comes from. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, I don't think anything like, this wasn't a soldier who was given the option to sign up. This was not, uh, a, well, I mean, as I referenced, this was not a Captain America situation. This was not, let's take the bravest guy and give him power and, you know, point him in the right direction at the enemy. He's going to punch Nazis. Like, this was, you know, horrible. Yeah. This was first order kind of kidnap children, indoctrinate them, make them the perfect soldiers kind of thing. Um, and it's all justified by war is all justified by the greater good it's it's a slippery slope uh for sure uh and if you look into military history if you look at things that happened during the cold war during um uh, our war with vietnam even uh any any war any war is used to justify 
very questionable experimentation uh, on our own people mm-hmm. without consent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's so much that goes on. So this sort of thing, uh, you know, 225 years in the future, not hard to believe, actually, no. uh, but still horrible. Uh, nonetheless, I mean, we do get an iconic character out of it, but uh, it's it's interesting to me how many people don't know where we get Master Chief from. They think, I guess, he's just born like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there is a human, despite him not taking off his helmet and despite him not having the personality, uh, at least that some would see, he is human under there. Uh, and I think that uh, that's largely forgotten, not just by the Covenant who call them demons, but by humans themselves who just think that, oh, throw a Spartan at it, it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are people. Uh, and sacrifice in general is significant, and I don't like to put those on scales. Yeah. But the sacrifice of the fictional, I know I'm talking all big and mighty about fictional characters, but, uh, you know, in this story, the sacrifice of these, you know, candidates and what they gave up just to be soldiers Mm-hmm. Um, we're not done with the tragedy of Spartans, uh, by far. <laughs> um, but even just to get here is, uh, a huge deal and, um, largely just lost a time. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of Master Chief's actions as, you know, a game character could be justified by the fact that he doesn't have very many social skills. No, um, <laughs> he, they, they don't, Spartans don't go on leave. Um, Spartans don't take breaks. Spartans don't take vacations. Um, they stand in the corner and think about what they've done. Like they, they, they work hard. They work out, they clean their weapons, they clean their armor, they make sure everything is okay. And they take the next mission and they just cycle through all the time. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, but again, outside looking in, oh, you know, like, oh, well, they're, they're just so like, they're, Men of war, like they knew what they were doing, but they didn't. They, mm-hmm. they didn't. Like, Ugh. Ugh. there was no exit program. The exit program was death for the Spartan program. So there wasn't like, you know, if at any point you feel like you need to opt out, no, there was none of that. Where were they going to yeah. go? They were replaced already. God. Yeah. Stop looking at I'm me so <laughs> happily when I'm sad. I no, it's just um, I I love moral conundrums and stories. I love. You love a good trolley problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like things that aren't clean cut, um, especially yeah. things that present themselves as clean cut and come to find out, no, it's, this is much bigger than we think. Um, and these are the kinds of stories that are so buried in lore uh, of Halo. Um, play a game and tell me how you get that story. You don't. Mm-hmm. You do not get these details. You just get a awesome and unstoppable protagonist to play um you know that's it yeah um and and that's why i always encourage people with with any property that you love dig deep more than likely there's lore to it dig deep and figure out what's happening behind the screen behind you know um so uh yeah so we're just checking in with the humans by and large because uh we've got some more covenant goodness to get into and we've got to get the covenant and the humans to meet so we got a war to kick off. So now that we're caught up with the Covenant and who they are, now that we're caught up with what humanity's been up to and who our, our main protagonists for Halo really are, uh, on one world you have the Spartans born, uh, on a- another war is born. 
So uh, I want you to imagine while all of that childhood trauma is happening uh, on Reach, far off in another world known as Harvest, um, a whole nother load of business is happening. <laughs> Uh, 2525. So we're still in the same year. Um, this is the year that the covenant met humanity and declared them an affront to the gods and their religion. <laughs> They're uh, not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but why? Why were humans rejected when all these other species were taken in? Uh, the answer requires a lot of setup, actually. At, at some point early in the year of 2525, around February, a jackal pirate expedition in the area led to the species attacking a human vessel because they have a device on every covenant ship called a luminary. And this reacted uh, like it does to any Forerunner tech. It basically just goes boop, boop, and says, there's Forerunner technology over there. Go get it. I'm the doctor. This is my thing. It goes ding when there's stuff. Uh, Exactly. That is a luminary. Um, So it goes off saying that there are Forerunner relics on a nearby ship. Uh, they board and kill the crew, but find no relics. Uh, this continued for a while, actually, and was reported back to the Covenant, uh, the findings of the Luminary. Um, but it turns out, in fact, that the Luminary had detected thousands of Forerunner artifacts on a nearby world. Um, now, before the uh, Jackal Pirates can be of any use in discovering these, eventually the humans respond to what they thought were insurrectionists and lay a trap and sort of have the worst for first contact. Uh, but it's forgivable because there's no one alive to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> well, at least no covenants. Um, the effort was most notably led by Sergeant Avery Johnson. Uh, the character was based on Sergeant Apone from Aliens. And if you don't know who that is, educate yourself um please uh please. but if you can just imagine the epitome of marine dopeness um mm-hmm. that is sergeant avery johnson uh and it was this dopeness that led to uh them destroying the jackals and their craft uh and overall saving humanity from would-be aliens um but this would i mean you have to take into account this was first contact kind of um this was yeah wow okay <laughs> there I'll are aliens i'll say the first contact with the vulcans went a lot better yeah just a um, handshake so now meanwhile the vice minister of tranquility who if you remember is the boss um he pays the jackals for their pirate work and everything so he received a report from their vessel about the massive relic find uh and he just he conspired to use this alongside his political religious partner the minister of fortitude uh, they would use this information to gain power and become the new hierarchs of the covenant, basically showing that if they can discover this, what else could they do? They, you know, vote, you know, vote these guys in. Tranquility thus dispatched a trusted team of Jurahalane, uh to investigate the relics in lieu of the fallen jackals. Uh, I'm just going to call them brutes from here on out. The brute team yes, was led by the zealot Macavius uh, and his nephew Tartarus. Get that boy um although a slightly more peaceful first meeting um was arranged between uh the brutes and humanity a more proper uh first contact a couple trigger happy folks primarily on the covenant side led to a shootout and thus blood soiled any further negotiation uh or reasoning 
I'd call that aggressive negotiations. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's literally the most unfortunate things. Tensions are high and somebody's gun goes off and yeah. it's just one of those stupid situations of like, mm-hmm. okay, now we're at war. Like I said, I do appreciate these visual aids. You know what he reminds me of? Yeah. Deal it. Deal. Uh, yeah. Um, Pushing too many pencils. So it was after this development that back on high charity, the ministers of fortitude and tranquility decided to consult the Oracle. Uh, it was uh, the Oracle of the ancient dreadnought that was once the ship that saved them and had become like the center of high charity at this point. Um, back at one point, uh, an Essence spoke through the Dreadnought to the Sanshum uh, and had long been silent, though, after that. This didn't stop the Sanshum from making it as if the Oracle was guiding their religion. Um, they basically claimed to consult the Oracle uh, on covenant matters, but really the trio of hierarchs would just meet together and talk about it and decide what they wanted to do, but say that the Oracle wanted them to do it. Huh. Yeah, again, <laughs> you can trace some uh, religiosity in there however you please. Yeah. Um, it was like the priest saying that he'll pray for you uh, for direction, but really he just kind of thinks about his to-do list and then just says what he thinks is best. Um, this has been happening for the last millennia, by yeah. the way. But when the two ministers came to the current philologist, who is the keeper of the oracle. All of these sounds like made up like job titles. Oh yeah, it's church, so yeah. <laughs> I say as I work for a church. Um, so they meet with the philologist of the uh, oracle. And, and this is essentially what it would be is they would just meet with the guy that keeps the oracle, talk about it, and decide. They didn't yeah. really expect to get anything from the oracle. But <laughs> when they inquired about these relics, the oracle spoke for the first time. Ooh. Any guesses about what he said? I'm, I'm really, I, I'm, I am genuinely cur- curious if you have any of the clues. Dilla, <laughs> Milla. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, 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 peace be with your soul. I don't know, man. <laughs> Not quite. They changed it. Like it's been a long time since I've been in Catholic school. Oh. So like it, it used to be peace be with you and also with you, mm-hmm. but now it's peace be with you and with your soul. Like there's a John Mulaney bit about it. It made me Google, okay. but like, why go? What? The Catholic institution has been around for millennia. No, surprisingly, the Oracle is agnostic. Oh, um, wow. The Oracle spoke and declared that the Luminary had not detected relics to be reclaimed, but had rather detected reclaimers. Oh. Humans. I like that. Heirs to the Forerunner legacy. But how could this Oracle know this, and on what authority did he say such things? I love this bit. I... In in terms of lore, when you're when you're like painstakingly reading this happening, this was such a bomb drop for me. This oracle turned out to be none other than mendicant bias. Oh, yes. heck! Uh, or at least a sliver of his consciousness. Now, um, mendicant bias. Uh, if you followed along with last episode, the forerunners created him an AI to help fight against the flood. The Flood convinced him that the Forerunners were wrong, and he joined forces with the Flood. Yeah. Eventually, the Forerunners got his AI back, and as punishment, they banned, banished him to the Ark to forever think of his atonement. Now, the Ark was where everyone who was collected to be saved as specimens to be redistributed later was taken. So all the specimens came there. 
at some point while all of the dreadnoughts, which were, you know, mini arcs that were what distributed them back to their planets, at some point he worked his consciousness into one of these dreadnoughts, this being the one. And so with the idea that at some point he'll escape or he didn't know, like it's a sliver of his consciousness. So he's not all there. Um, the only reason he reawoken was because he was fed information that, you know, triggered him. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, you have uh, an, a ghost of the Forerunner history literally uh, here before them uh, and telling them all the unfortunate lies of their religion. And then they're just like, no. Nah. <laughs> uh, essentially. Um, so, yeah, again, knowing the lore of mendicant bias and then all of a sudden having him be introduced this way was really 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 interesting it'd be kind of like if jesus his voice like boomed down from the heavens one day and was like don't be stupid stupid right and then everybody was like cool and then went (laughs) on about their business yeah so um now think of the possibilities though if they really understood way back when who this oracle was Mm -hmm. like they could have had the truth all along because they had the truth all along oh the irony but now two thousand years into their history they're presented with the truth and how do you think they react very humanly actually not well uh upon learning that reclaimers had been found mendicant was determined to launch the dreadnought and retrieve them and bring them to the ark so that they could take their rightful duty uh over the mantle of responsibility so mendicants come around a little bit Mm -hmm. and you know basically he's like what you know I don't know what you guys are doing, but I'm going to go uh, save our new gods. Uh, that's how the the Sanshum would have heard it. Like, mm-hmm. wait, we're supposed to be important. We're supposed to, like, we've built everything on this. We revere, like, guess what? The humans have no idea who the foreigners are. They don't know any of the relics. They, like, nothing. They're, here's these religious zealots who for thousands of years have been obsessing over foreigners. And then here's these humans that, unbeknownst to them, have the key to power have i ever told you or have you ever heard the joke of um the guy and he goes he dies and he goes to heaven and saint peter's giving him a tour of everything Mm -hmm. and he walks past all of these different doors like oh yeah that's uh harry krishna heaven that's christian heaven that's um jewish heaven Mm -hmm. um and then when he walks by a certain door he goes I need you to be very quiet while we're walking past this door. That's Mormon heaven. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> and like, um, that's what I think of immediately. Yeah. I mean, the, again, they, they read scripture a certain way and mm-hmm. inferred upon it. And it's now they're happened. being taught, oh, that's wrong. Who's going to tell everybody that? Because we built a whole religion on this thing. Yeah. But in a, twi- uh, a sick twist of fate, the AI was stopped uh, very unceremoniously, um, because the philologist had failed to keep Legolo from getting into the ship's inner consoles, and the worms ate the center console, and thus shut down the sliver of consciousness for mendicant bias. That's sad. Uh, now, again, this is a sliver. He, he's actually still um, very much resting at peace in, on the Ark. Um, this was just sort of a flash of his consciousness, enough to be able to do something, but not actually him. Enough to be like, hey, you guys are being idiots. Right. Enough to do simple things, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing the truth, Fortitude, Tranquility, and the Philologist had a choice. Tell the truth and watch their religion and power dismantle, 
or save face and eliminate the evidence. Clearly, we still haven't reached the game, so they choose to go to war with humanity. Because if uh, the other one would have been just peaceful. The, to win the vote of the people and become the new trios of hierarchs uh, and lead the covenant into an age of reclamation. So Fortitude becomes the leader of this new trio and becomes the prophet of truth. For he knows the truth, but can never say. Yes, that is him. Okay, good. Man in the red dress. Tranquility becomes the prophet of regret who unapologetically protects his power and reputation. And the philologist becomes the prophet of mercy, who mercilessly accepts humanity as extinguishable. If you can't guess, all the names are ironic. Oh, credibly so. (laughs) Exactly. Now, so that's all happening. Uh, Back on Harvest, uh, the orders of the New Covenant leadership reach troops who swiftly partake, and the smaller conflict of Sergeant Johnson and his Marines versus Maccabeus and his men end with several casualties on both sides, including the hyper-religious uncle Maccabeus himself. Ultimately, all that humanity can do as conflict builds is to evacuate the planet. Hmm. First contact was made back in February of 2525. By October of that year, the planet was glassed. This is the ultimate cleansing of the covenant. To purify a planet and its people, the massive supercruisers that are the fleet of the covenant would fire their primary plasma laser at the surface of a planet until it melted to glass. Multiply this by hundreds of thousands, and eventually the surface was so scorched that the environment was not only unlivable, but downright unrestorable. This was the fate of Harvest, though the following year the UNSC would return and wage a five-year war to retake the world, mostly for posterity's sake, not really Mm -hmm. anything significant, but uh, they would attempt restoration efforts so it's kind of like krypton to where they like he basically decimated the entire world to the point where you know there is no hope yeah i mean that's that's the goal of glassing that's the ultimate uh ko like you're not just killing everyone you're destroying their entire world Mm -hmm. uh and and they literally looked at it as a cleansing um they looked at it as this whole religion thing in terms of so, see, the covenant was built on um, ages, essentially. Uh, they don't believe, like, um, in s- sequential ages, like age one, age two, age three. Um, they believe ages kind of revolve randomly. But mm-hmm. each age is a certain period. So this is the age of reclamation. They declare that it is the age where uh, they take um what's necessary to begin the great journey they think this is what that age is there's the age of war there's the age of doubt there's the age of peace and they're just constantly rotating through all of these things and so they justify everything through this sort of religiosity in terms of like they justify this is this is an age of cleansing this is an this is an age of uh tribulation like they basically just think that it's all part of the journey, mm-hmm. all part of transcending to the godhood that they seek and whatnot. Um, how much of them actually believe it? How much of them are just along for the ride? Who knows? I mean, I mean, as with much of church, how many are really there because they believe it? And how many are there out of tradition? How many are there out of posterity? How many are there just because their mom brought them? Like, you know, like, <laughs> uh, it's always hard to tell. Uh, and the covenant's no different. Nonetheless, many were happy to be at war. How many are there because they're worms? 
mm -hmm. they were just sort of asked to come along. Uh, yeah, I, I do wonder uh, of which, like, the the hunters and the drones in particular, I'm like, they really don't get, they don't, no. they don't really believe They're this, just they? having a good time, honestly. <laughs> like, I get to eat food and also just sort of show people. Right. That sounds great. So, but this is, uh, this is how the human covenant war begins. This mm -hmm. is how the war that we are partaking in throughout the entirety of the, the, uh, first three games. Uh, this is how it begins in the year 2525 and would last 27 years, Golly. uh, until human covenant forerunner and precursor would all culminate faithfully. And so, uh, we've got a, still obviously a little bit of ways to go there, but, um, yeah, that's the beginnings of war. Um, so now we're set up um, very much towards what we start to experience in the game. So like next week, uh, plan to talk about um, some of the lead up a little bit more about the Spartans leading up to the Fall of Reach, which is a playable game. Chronologically, it's one of the earlier games. Um, technically, Halo Wars takes place prior, and you actually uh, have the work in the beginning of the game of terraforming uh, Harvest. So that, that's during that period where they go back and they're trying to figure out, is there any way to save a planet when it's been glassed? Mm -hmm. Because this would happen a lot. Um, and part of the reason uh, for the expanse of humanity in Halo lore is because there's so many millions of casualties, we had to explain how there were any left. Yeah. Uh, and that's basically just because we lived on so many planets by this point. Um, but we lost many of them and many people, like, I mean, ridiculous. Like, again, this is not like any other war where you're just losing troops. Like, these are home worlds. These are yeah. civilians. There's no, we're going to go fight overseas. No, the, the whole planet is the battleground. Like, everyone is involved when the Covenant show up. It's crazy. And the game Halo Reach actually shows a good bit of that because you get to travel all over the planet um, and see different areas. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. You don't encounter many civilians in Halo, do you? Um, not in uh, the first game, not too much in the third game, but in um, Halo 2, you do because you're spending a lot of time on Earth. Um, Halo ODST is exclusively on Earth. You're in the city of New Mombasa. Um, so you are there. You you see a little bit of the, the devastation, but you do see more civilians. Again, Halo Reach, you do. You... you battle through a city where mm -hmm. you see people fleeing and whatnot. Like you yeah. see a little bit of the um, turmoil of the war. I mean, for the first couple of games, I get it from like a technical standpoint because a lot of the times you don't want to, you know, have to program in excess characters. It's like uh, how they show in old Nintendo games that a crowd is moving by little movements here and there. Mm -hmm. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, well, and usually, and, and that, I mean, again, that's the whole reason we're talking about the lore is because the, the games are so self-contained. They're so focused. Mm -hmm. um, they're either focused on who you're playing or who you're fighting against. They're not really dealing with the rest of it. Um, so, you know, it's sort of a passing thing whenever civilians are ever around or involved or anything like that. Um, but, I mean, definitely no doubt that we're talking planetary scale in terms yeah. of battle, um, which from a narrative point is just insane. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is, 
I, I, I like a story that goes beyond. It's not just the troops fighting. It like it affects people because every war does. Yeah. Um, we Americans are very privileged and blessed in that we have not had too much war on our grounds. Yeah. We have not been negatively affected by invading troops and whatnot. Um, unlike other countries, um, who to this day are uh, almost in some ways irreversibly affected by it. Yeah. Um, imagine that everywhere. That's what it's like when it, during this kind of fictional alien war. And it's all built because uh, Church of Alien Jesus doesn't want to give up their power. It's all in an effort to eradicate humanity and any evidence that, sorry guys, our church is wrong. Uh, it's so crazy when you understand why the war freaking starts. Because again, you join, you you jump in the first game, you don't get none. No. You do not get any explanation until Halo Two, sort of, but mostly Halo Three. Um, and even then, it, it's almost more like we didn't really believe the whole time. We just wanted to kill you, you humans. It's not really digging into. Like, no, they legitimately chose to kill humanity. Like, this was a very conscious effort. This was a very selfish effort. This wasn't just a, ha-ha, we're strong, we want to kill humans. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there, there's room for interpretation in the games. There's not in the books. They, the, the, yeah. the lore, the, the real story is very clear on what's happening, why, and all of that. The consequences, everything. The games don't really get into that because, uh, by and large, it's just not that interesting to that community. First-person mm-hmm. shooter community, it's not that interesting to get that much story. You just need enough to go, to play the game. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, again, all the more reason why uh, we're here, we're talking about it, uh, and why hopefully more people will know a little bit more and maybe even like a little bit more of Halo because of it. Yeah. And I was like, that looks more like a Puma. <laughs> You can't keep making the same joke. <laughs> I can and I will. If red versus blue can, I can too. <laughs> True. Although they change the vehicle every time. It, it's very funny. What okay. What's that? It's a mongoose. Mongoose? It's more, more like, like a, a puma. puma. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. man. Jeff is funny. I love I love red versus blue so much. It's, it's hilarious and heartbreaking at some points, but like, and then it goes back to being hilarious. Right. Like, um, Red versus Blue is not Halo, though. Please, no. Please do not watch it. It is not Halo. You should watch it, but don't watch it uh, if you're trying to learn you some Halo. It oh, doesn't no. work that way. My name is Michael Jacobus, and I hate babies. <laughs> Although, Caboose was my favorite for a long time. Uh, Caboose is great. Caboose I mean, so many of the original characters are really great. The, the cast really grew, so it's really, it's crazy, but um, yeah. Yeah. I like I like Caboose and I like Jeffrey. Jeff. His name is Jeff. <laughs> That's not how it's spelled. <laughs> We're not having this conversation again. <laughs> We're talking about Griff, if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, Griff, my favorite, other than Michael J. Caboose. Mm-hmm. He hates babies. Apparently. But anyway, it's been a fun... It's, we've had a good time here, boys and girls. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I've had a good I've time. talked a lot. I know that that's happened. Listen, I'm really enjoying these episodes. I don't know if anybody else is, but like, I just like listening to you no talk clue. about if, stuff. If they are, they should let us know at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Because exactly. 
yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm talking to the void. That's fine. Uh, but it's, if you're if you're happy and uh, whatnot, then sure, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next week's going to be another Halo episode, and then after that, who knows? Yeah, I Do mean, you um, talk about that? well, the more we go on, the more I'm I'm wondering because uh, again, my whole focus is on the lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that happen outside of the games. Uh, we're getting so close to the games. I almost wonder how much, um, you know, I don't know. I feel like you can get the story of the games by playing the games. Yeah. So I don't think that I'm going to cover them as extensively. I have not decided yet. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not, originally I was going to go all in. I was going to talk all lore, all the way up to Halo 5. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stop after the main story uh yeah. uh in so what would be the end of halo 3 mm-hmm. i'm gonna stop there because i feel like that's the end of one book and someday somewhere down the road um when uh i just feel like it or if people want it yeah. i'll talk about more i do want to talk about more i love i love halo i love talking about halo but oh, yeah i i just don't want to talk everybody's ear off this is not the halo cast this <laughs> is nerdyverse so i want to move out the way, provide room for you to talk about your video game loves and all that stuff. And, yeah. Um, you know, just be able to move on. Share the, share the love. Do we want to tease our next topic? Uh, I think it's too soon. Okay. You so technically already you're just going to have to wait. Yeah, you, you already have on Twitter. Yeah, so. I posted a very not subtle picture. <laughs> go, go on that hunt if you want to. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm trying to remember how we outro these things because I'm not usually the one that does it. Hence the rambling. Uh, we're part of the Red 5 Network. Go cuddle their faces. <laughs> yes, red5network.com. Uh, love them. They're great people. Um, they're like us. They don't just talk Star Wars. Yeah, give um, them gentle kisses. Yeah. Uh, if you love The Matrix, um, which I really do, uh, Pizza and Parsecs is talking about that um, mm-hmm. lately, so uh, you can check that out. Um, the Force of Light uh, podcast recently talked about Man of Steel, and I really enjoyed that because we've teased our feelings about that and yeah. Henry Cavill overall so I really enjoy um I enjoy the opinions of people on controversial things like that so uh, I was very quick to listen to that mm-hmm. uh and you know so many more people doing so many more awesome things so oh, yeah. all of that is what's awesome and then in between everybody's talking about Star Wars because we love it exactly so Red 5 Network uh Game Infinite we're also a part of that network mm-hmm. um Game Infinite especially active over on instagram so if you want to mix things up and get off the twit and go over to the gram uh jesse runs game infinite's page and shares content creators cosplayer i mean like um i recently saw a very awesome uh tomb raider cosplay where she somehow made herself look like the old school um pixel model like you know triangle chest and everything really well okay i need to look you know between makeups and and you know just um very i guess smart uh style uh the the goal was to look video Mm gamey and i was just very impressed with that uh and that i've never played a tomb raider i don't remember anything about the movie Mm -hmm. um so there you go but even i can be impressed by that so stuff like that um amazing cosplay all that good stuff uh, over on Game Infinite. You can't follow them on Twitter, but uh, I, I, I say definitely to get the goodest experience possible, uh, go to Instagram, search Game Infinite. They're awesome. You know what I'm genuinely surprised they've never made a movie out of? What's that? Metal Gear Solid. Because I feel like that's a good spy movie. Although I don't know how the box would translate. <laughs> I feel like it'd be um, a thing that 
It's like, quick, we need a disguise. And they look at the box and then they're like, now that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like that'd be a funny little inside joke. Oh, Um, yeah. Who would be Solid Snake? Oh, Sam Worthington. Is he British? Is um, Solid Snake got an accent? No. In my head, he has an accent. No. Okay. Sam Worthington still. (laughs) (laughs) I just want Sam Worthington in things because I like him. He just really likes Sam Worthington. He hasn't done anything recently. I do. He's a great actor and he Mm -hmm. is the best part of a lot of all right movies. And um, yeah, I mean, I just think he's really cool. Yeah. And um, Daniel Craig is also a lot. What? You, you you don't know. Okay, yeah, that like totally caught me off guard. <laughs> I have no point of reference for Metal Gear, Metal, Metal Gear Solid stuff. So. Okay, I'll educate you in between episodes. Okay, there we there go. go. Alright, have a good night. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee.